0: Genesis 25, let me read, starting in verse number 24. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over, like a hairy garment. And they called his name Esau, Esau, he's a hairy, hairy man, red skinned man. Let's see what's going on here. They got one brother out, and after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel. And his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. And Jacob was a plain man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sod pottage. Sod pottage. Sod, this has nothing to do with like grass that you replant. This has to do with cooking up some soup, okay? He made soup. He made stew. And Jacob sod pottage. And Esau came from the field and he was faint. He was tired, and Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, I beg you, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him. And he sold his birthright unto Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils. And he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. How many of you have heard this story before? This account of Jacob. And Esau. You've heard it? All right. So I just want to recap all that we got into here. So we've got Isaac and we've got Rebecca, okay? Isaac and Rebecca, they're a great couple. Isaac and Rebecca. There's this wonderful story how they came together. But it comes to this point where God says, You're going to have two kids, and your youngest son is going to rule over your oldest son. And so these two babies are coming out this is getting graphic, uh, these two babies are being born and the one child comes out and he's like hairy, hairy baby. And the hairy baby uh, comes out and the other child has a hold of his heel in some way. And that's what his name means. It's supplanter. Jacob is supplanter. It means heel grabber. All right, Heel grabber. And the other way to describe that, yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Y'all look at me like, heel grabber, what is he talking about? Listen, he had a hold of his heel, Jacob, supplanter. That means that he's going to rule over or kind of jockey for position. He's going to take the position of the other brother. That's what's going on here. And uh, so that's what's happening when they're born. And we're going to see it in verses 29 through 34. It comes out in their life. All right? The story goes, and I'm just recapping because I, I want to make sure we're all on the same page with this. That Esau is like out in the field, he's a hunter, like he's a manly man, a manly man. Is there any manly men in here? I know some manly men. Uh, I'm going to pick out a manly man just because it's fun. There's one guy in here that I just know, he's like a man. Matt Sabo <laughs> is a man. Matt, please stand. Stand please stand. Give him a hand. This is Matt Sabo. Now, Matt Sabo is a manly man, and this, he kind of reminds me of this guy Esau, but he probably doesn't do what Esau does. But regardless, he like, loves to be outside. He loves everything about the outdoors. And um, I don't necessarily like the outdoors and this was be what we're talking about with Jacob and sadly I hate to say I identify more with this guy Uh, recently we were at a party a wonderful party was it uh, was what, what was the occasion Christmas New Year's Thanksgiving Friendsgiving what was it I don't know Christmas we were trading gifts and I just let the cat out of the bag on something I just shouldn't have I shouldn't have said something you ever stick your foot in your mouth you ever done that before anybody you just say something, you're like, oh, man, you just reveal a little bit too much information, TMO, right? So TMO, too much inform TMI, <laughs> TM, oh, man, TM, whatever it is. Okay, so I, we're over here, and I was like, man, so anyone in the wintertime, listen, I'm going to reveal it to everybody, and you guys just going to eat me up about it. Carrie, he's like, please don't say it. All right, so I, uh, in the wintertime, I've got this problem. And uh, it's just, listen, it's normal. My hands, they crack when it gets cold. Anybody's hands crack? All right. So I'm told that if you're a manly man, you just let them bleed. I mean, you just let them crack. Well, I don't know any better. And so... My wife is like, hey, check this out. And she gives me this little tiny tube. It's, it's, a, it's a little tube of hand cream. Coco Loco from Bath and Body Works. And I put this stuff on and I'm just like, this is heaven on your hands. And I, it's like my hands, even now, are great. This is like Esau... Manly manner. You know, you get the picture of Esau. He's like hairy outdoors, Matt, I Okay, he's an outdoorsman, and Jacob is a plain man. Like he stays inside and does like inside stuff, and uh, and that's who these two are. They're two different brothers, and and the the father Isaac he loves Esau. He likes this guy because he likes the meat he kills, and and Rebecca the mom she likes Jacob. Because he's just perfect. He's great. I don't know what he does, but he's a good guy, and she likes him. Uh, She loved Jacob. So now, the thing is, I just want you to know, like, Jacob, he he had a lot going on. Because you got to think, Isaac, he inherited everything from Abraham, and there was a lot of stuff that came down the line. Like, they had a large house with many servants and many flocks, and so that's what Jacob was doing. Uh, inside he wasn't washing dishes or anything now he was managing good important things all right I just defended myself for not being manly here we go this is who we're at now we're in verse 29 Esau is out in the field this manly man he's hunting and he comes in and he's faint Bible says he was faint he's tired how many of y'all have just worked a long day of work and you're just tired. Anyone ever done? You worked and you worked and you finally get home. Now men, this goes probably for every man. First of all, I hope you're a worker, I hope you're a working man. But you get home after a long day of honest work and you're tired, what's the first thing you want when you get home? Come on. Food. We're hungry. We're hungry men. This is, what, this is Esau, he comes in the field and he was out there like hunting and doing manly man stuff and he comes in and he was faint and he sees his brother, this brother just happened to be in the kitchen, I guess he was, but he was making this incredible soup, lentil soup, this red colored soup and it probably smelled really good and Esau was hungry and the soup looked good, look at, look at what happens. Esau says to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee. Like I'm begging you, give me some food. I want that food. He said, For I'm faint, I'm tired. And Jacob is about to take advantage of the situation, all right? He says, Okay, Esau, you want this food, you want this soup, you're in a moment of weakness. Sell me your birthright. Sell me your birthright. We're going to get into what is the birthright here in a second. This was something that was very important. Uh, It's obvious it's important because God mentions it here. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, God actually refers to Esau and calls him profane. He says he sold for one morsel of meat his birthright. So it's very important, something that's very important. We'll see what it is. And uh, Jacob said, verse 31, sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, listen to this whiner. Behold, I am at the point to die. Have you ever said that when you're hungry? Oh, I'm starving. I'm going to die if I don't get... I'm going to step off the edge. and I'm really going to die here. Uh, I'm going to die if I don't get some food. I need some food. And that's what he's saying. I am about to die. He's exaggerating. And then he says, And what profit shall this birthright do to me? This birthright, this thing that doesn't affect me right now, it's not as important as this soup. I'm hungry. I need the soup. Jacob said, Still taking it very seriously. Swear to me this day. It's like before God, right now, you swear to me, if I give you this soup, you're going to give me your birthright. We're going to make a trade. We're going to make a deal. And he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Now here's my question, and here's what we're going to get into and talk about. What did Esau do wrong what did he do? Come on, throw it out here. Somebody speak up. He sold his birthright, right? He sold his birthright. This is what he did wrong. Here's what he, here's the scope of this. What Esau did is he made a decision in a moment that affected his legacy for an eternity. Okay? He made a decision in a moment that affected his legacy. For an eternity, because he took this birthright, this incredible thing that he had, and he sold it, he traded it for a bowl of soup. See, this is what God said about Esau. He said, like I read in Hebrews twelve, sixteen, lest there be any fornicator or profane person. He labels Esau a profane person. Now that's not a word we use. Commonly, we don't necessarily call each other that name. You're profane. or You know, that's not something we go back and forth with. But God labels Esau as profane because he sold his birthright for one morsel of meat. Here's what this word profane means. Profane means to regard something very valuable as not valuable. To regard something very valuable as not valuable. Valuable, or to take something sacred and regard it as worthless or common. To take something sacred or regard it as worthless or common. So the question is what was the birthright? This is like, you read it, you're like, yeah, he sold something. It had to be important, but what was the birthright? Here's what the birthright was. And sometimes this is uh, by different scholars or whatever you read. They might define it differently. But traditionally, the birthright included a double portion of his father's goods. There was some material benefit to having the birthright. The birthright, listen to this, Abraham, he was very wealthy. Throughout scripture, there are several verses that talk about his wealth. Uh, that He's described as having flocks, having herds, silver, and gold. Like if you've got silver and gold and flocks, like I, I would assume that you might be average and middle class if you had flock or herd But he had flocks and herds and silver and gold. The Bible describes Abraham as having uh, servants, both male and female, uh, having camels and donkeys and lots of land. And all of that Abraham had was passed to his son Isaac. Do you understand? Isaac got the birthright. He inherited these things. It was an inheritance. Not only does a birthright include a double portion of his father's goods, but a birthright Includes the firstborn's position in the family tree. Listen, uh, when we talk about God, what do we hear? We hear the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. What about the other brother? What about Esau? See, at this point in time, before we get to this story, before we get to this account, it could have been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Now, we know that God had said to um, Isaac and Rebekah that this, these brothers were going to have this change of roles. But at this point in time, he had yet to give up his birthright. That double portion of fatherhood, all this material blessings, all of this uh, position in the family tree. But not only that, it included a spiritual aspect as well. And this was by far the most important part of the birthright. Check this out. I want you to turn back to Genesis 17, Genesis chapter 17, get there. In Genesis 17, there's this covenant or this agreement or this promise that God makes to Abraham, which in turn passes down to Isaac, which in turn would be part of the birthright. And listen to this and tell me if this doesn't sound important. In Genesis 17, and when Abram was 90 years old and nine, 99, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee. This personal promise, this relationship, this ongoing covenant, I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. Multiplied blessings were part of this. There's not really a description of this except for uh, whenever God says, I'm going to multiply you exceedingly. That's a good thing, okay? Those are good. Those are blessings. Listen to what he says. He continues. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many Nations, The spiritual, the physical patriarch of many, many nations. The father of many nations. This is the promise that comes down to Abraham. Then on to Isaac, which is part of the birthright. Verse 5, neither shall thy name anymore be called Abram, but thou shalt be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful. And I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. A father of kings. Could you imagine? We think of the fathers in here, you think your son maybe being the next president of the United States. That's a big deal. Abraham was going to be the father of kings with an S. Multiple kings would come out of him. The father of kings, and I will establish, verse 7, my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in the generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God made this incredible promise to Abraham. The land, the blessings. I mean, the land of Canaan. Can you imagine? All of this, the father of many nations. And Abraham passed that down to Isaac. And Isaac, this birthright that was coming down, at this point, was coming to the firstborn son, Esau. And Esau took this the material blessings, the double portion of his father's good, the position in the family tree, and the spiritual blessings of the promises of God and everything good that came from God, and he sold it for a bowl of soup. That's a bad deal, don't you think? <laughs> That's that is a bad deal. That's a bad trade. That's that is not a. Those aren't equal. Um, I I like soup. I really like lobster bisque, um, but no bowl of soup is worth all of that. This is something very serious that he did. See, what he did was he took this very valuable thing, the birthright, and he considered that not so valuable. He took something that was very sacred, very important, and he said, eh, it's not important to me. And he instead chose a bowl of soup. You say, What does that mean to me? And that's where I'd like to get to tonight. The birthright, see, it was representative of the spiritual inheritance and the blessings in Esau's life that came directly from God. You understand? Like God put him in this family, and there was this special st- stuff, whether it was the material possessions, whether it was the land, the flocks, the herds, the position in this great family. And the spiritual promise that one day, listen to this, that one day would lead to the Messiah. God becoming flesh in that family tree. He says, you know what? I'm going to give it up all for a bowl of soup. He sold out. He gave it up. He made a bad deal. He took his birthright and made the worst deal of his life. Okay? So let me ask you. Question, a couple questions. What value do you place on spiritual things? How high in your rank of priority and importance in your mind do you rank the spiritual blessings of God? Do you ever take your birthright, and I'm going to make a comparison here and apply it. Do you ever take All of God's promises and all of God's blessing, and most importantly, your relationship with Christ, and sell it out for something that's not worth anything. Do we ever do that? The purpose of my message tonight is that every Christian should recognize the value of the life they have in Christ and determine to never trade Christ and his blessings for anything. Let me read it again. Every one of us should recognize the value of our life in Christ and determine to never trade Christ and his blessings for anything. Do you recognize what we have in Christ? Sometimes we don't recognize it, and so I'm here to re- remind you and refresh your mind. Turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 gives an incredible picture of the value that's found in knowing Christ, Matthew 13, verse 44, the Bible says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto, it's a simile, okay? It's, it's going to compare the kingdom of heaven, this spiritual blessings, this life we can have in Christ with something. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, the which, when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. Uh, Jesus paints his picture of the value of what you find when you find Christ. And he says, You know, it's, it's like this guy, he, he goes and he's walking through a field and he finds a treasure, all right? I I don't walk through fields that often because I'm not an outdoorsman, Matt. I'm sorry. But uh, this guy, the story goes that he goes and he walks through a field and he finds something. I don't know what the treasure was. It could have been gold, but it was something very, very valuable. So valuable, so valuable that he thought, I cannot, I'm not going to tell anybody. I got to have this. I've got to have this treasure. I found the treasure. It is the most valuable thing I've ever found. And so he goes back and he sells everything. Could you imagine selling all of your possessions? All of it. Could you imagine selling your car? Could you imagine selling your house? Selling your clothes? Selling your cool tech gadgets and toys? Selling all of your fancy jewelry? I don't have fancy jewelry. That's good. Um, Could you imagine selling everything? What is worth it to you to sell everything? Everything. This man, the Bible says, he found the treasure in a field. It was hid in a field, and when he found it, he hid it, and for joy thereof. He didn't sell it because he had to. He sold it because he wanted to. He found something that was so worthwhile that it was worth selling everything so that he could buy that field and in turn get that treasure. That's the value of Christ. Continuing in Matthew 13, verse 45, another illustration says that the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. See, there is one thing that we find in life, only one. There's only one thing, and it's not a material possession. It's a person and it's a relationship, and it's Jesus Christ. There's so only this one person, this one thing that we find that is worth losing everything for because in turn you gain everything. The Apostle Paul put it this way when he described his relationship with God. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, "'Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss "'for the excellency.'" Of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. See, when you first came to Christ, you probably realized the huge weight of your sin. You probably realize that your sin had this eternal punishment that was, un- that was all-, all attached to it, that one day you'd spend eternity in hell, separated from God, and everything in your life. Would not be worth anything without Christ. Not only that, you realize that Jesus wasn't just a ticket to heaven, but Jesus was somebody you could have a relationship with. Somebody that would give you peace. Somebody that would comfort you. Somebody that would be with you when no one else was with you. And, it was be, and, it, and what we've learned when we receive Christ is that Jesus is more important than all of that stuff. And I think we would all agree to say, yeah, he is. He's more important. He's more valuable He's worth everything. It's exactly what Paul said. In Ephesians 1 verse 3, the Bible describes what we get when we get Jesus. We don't just get forgiveness of sin. We get all the blessings that go along with it. We become part of the family of God. We get all the same blessings that Jesus got. God doesn't just treat us as second rate. He treats us the same way he treats his son, Jesus. Jesus is God's Son, and listen to what we get here in Ephesians 1-3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. See, in Christ, you get everything. Uh, So many of us put other things on that important scale in our life. Um... There's a verse in Matthew 6, 33. Um, I'm going to put it up there on the screen. It says, To seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. When it talks about those things, it's referring back to the food and the clothing and all this earthly stuff that we think about so much. The, The paying of the bills and just the general things that we worry about. But we need to understand that when we seek all those things, we miss the most important thing. It's a person. It's Christ. But when we seek Christ first, we get everything else. Ephesians told us, with Christ, we have all spiritual blessings, every single one. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. That in everything ye are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge. Do you know when you get Christ, you are enriched in everything by him? He makes everything better. He makes everything better. Listen, in Christ, That's where we find our wealth. In Christ is where we find our peace. In Christ is where we find our comfort, our joy. We find our provision. In Christ, we find a God that will meet all of our needs according to his riches. There's so much that we have in Christ. See, every part of our life is enriched because of this relationship we have with Christ. In Christ, we can, and he allows us to, have a marriage that works and sometimes it doesn't work all that great, but when we put Christ at the center, it can. We see, there's so much in the world that other people wish was better. Their family, their job, their financial situation. And all of these things may seem trivial, but the thing is, when you bring Christ into those things, He enriches all of it. He makes it all better. He increases everything. He, he makes everything better. Better. this is what we have in Christ so why would we trade Jesus and his blessings for anything else when or do we become like Esau see Esau had this birthright uh, some of you may have an inheritance coming down to you and I'm not preaching about inheritance but we do have a lot in Christ in fact we have everything And sometimes we take that relationship we have in Christ and we devalue it. We take something else and we put it in place of that. And we do it moment by moment sometimes. In each of the decisions that we make every single day, we have the ability to take this incredible value we have in Christ and trade it for something trivial. We are most like Esau when we do three things, and then I'll close. We are like Esau, trading our birthright for a bowl of soup when, number one, we allow our appetites to rule us. We allow our appetites to rule us. Would you turn back in Genesis chapter 25? I hope you can see the comparison here. Esau had this extremely valuable, worth everything birthright. But for some reason, he gave it away. And he gave it away, first off, because he allowed his appetite to rule his life. It had complete control over him. Look in uh, chapter 25, verse number 30. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee. Feed me, I pray thee. With that same red pottage, for I am faint. Sometimes we allow those natural, fleshly, ordinary desires that we have, sinful desires, to totally take our love and our care and set God to the sideline. Our passions, our our appetites, whether that be the appetite like this, a natural appetite of wanting to eat something or the appetite for wanting something, any of our desires, the desires of our flesh, sometimes we let those take the place of God. We should value God and we should say he's first, but instead we trade our relationship and the blessings that God has given us in our life and we say, you know what, right now, that's not important to me. What's important to me is how I feel, what I want. You ever done that before? We all do that. Romans 6.12 tells us, let not sin, therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Every single one of us has desires. They flare up at different times. There are times when the desires are stronger than others. And in this situation, Esau, his, his desire for the food was so strong that it captivated him and it totally made him forget everything else that was worthwhile in his life. And sometimes we can let our desires steal our relationship with God, sometimes our decision in a moment to fulfill a desire that we have, it will steal our whole legacy. You understand that? That's exactly what happened to him. And in Romans 6, God tells us sin, the desires and fulfilling those desires are not to reign in our moral body. Reign has the idea of rule over or control. Your desire should not control you. It is not right, if you're going to live biblically, to live in a way where you say, I do what feels good. When we do what feels good, we totally miss the point. When we do what feels good, that's most of the time when we sin. You understand? What feels good is not always right. See, Esau allowed his appetite to rule him. Sometimes we do the same. In Romans 13 Verse 14, God says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. We're not to make prior preparation for our flesh. If there's a sin, we know that we're going to, man, sometimes we trade our entire reputation, the peace of God, the, repu- the, the relationship we have, the confidence in prayer, the spiritual blessings in our family, all for a moment of fulfilling a desire. And the Bible says if you know that you're going to head for that desire and you're going to face that tomorrow, don't make preparation for that. Don't give yourself opportunity for that. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, we're encouraged uh, by the Apostle Paul. He says, "'This I say then, walk in the Spirit, "'and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh.'" For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. What the Bible's saying here is that we all have desires. And when you're a Christian, you have something else. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, the very mind of Christ, that's saying, do these things instead. And you have this option all day long, either to say moment by moment, God, I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to do what you say. Or I'm going to do what I want and what feels good. You understand? And those two are contrary the one to the other. And the Bible says that we're not to let the lust of the flesh rule our life, but the spirit is to rule our life. We're supposed to be led of the spirit, not led of our flesh. Uh, In verse 19, Galatians 5, talks about the works of the flesh are manifest. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance. And I can go on and on and read those. What happens is when you do what feels good, you know what shows up in your life? Sin. You say, you know what? What you're essentially saying is, I would love to have this sin. And I would love to satisfy this desire in this moment. And all that God has for me is not very important right now. I'll give it all up. If you want to be like Esau, you can go ahead and do that. But God has called us to not make provision for the flesh, but to walk in the Spirit. Verse 22, Galatians 5. When we walk in the Spirit, when we allow God's Spirit to lead us into what we do, our actions, here's what shows up in your life instead. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Those sound like pretty good things, right? You probably need those in our, in our house. You probably need those on the job. Well, the way we get those is we, instead of doing what feels good, we do what God says to do instead. We do how the Spirit's leading us. So, number one... We're most like Esau when we allow our appetites to rule us. But I want you to see a second thing. We're most like Esau, number two, when we look only at the short term. When we look only at the short term. I want you to look in verse uh, number 32. Uh, Verse number 32, Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? He says, right now, I've got a problem, and that problem needs to be fixed. I am hungry. He says, I've got something right now, at this instant, that needs satisfied. I've got something immediate. I mean like an immediate need, like right now, I'm hungry, and that birthright's not going to feed me. Now, the truth is, he probably could have gotten food somewhere else. I don't believe they were poor. I know they weren't poor. So he just made this rash decision, because all he was focused on was right then and right now. And sometimes we do the same thing. We trade all that God has for us because we're so short-sighted. We're, we're looking at this just near-sighted, temporary benefit that we could get from whatever we're doing. I remember the man in Scripture. Uh, Jesus tells the story of a man who built barns. He spent his life and he built barns. It's, Hey, probably a good thing to be a farmer back then. And he was probably uh, known to be prosperous and he was looked upon well. But that's what he did. He, He built barns by farming. He filled it up with his crops. And all of a sudden, he had so much stuff in his barns that it was full. And the story goes that he said, what am I gonna do now that my barns are full? You know, I'm gonna tear these barns down. I'm gonna build bigger barns. I'm gonna fill those up. And Jesus said that in that story, That man was called a fool by God because he didn't realize that it was that night that his soul would be required of him. And the point of the story is this. Sometimes we're so nearsighted. You could be nearsighted paying attention to only this moment, but you can also be nearsighted only paying attention to this life because there is so much more after this life. If you think of eternity being forever, which it is, this whole life is just a speck on the timeline. And so often, we're making our decisions based upon how it affects me this minute, or this hour, or right now, I gotta have it. Whether that's a financial decision, a spiritual compromise, uh, a, a sin, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is, but Esau was short-sighted and, and that hurt him. Sometimes we look at prosperity and we say, man, I, I want to I accumulate money. Can I tell you that you won't take it with you? This is, this is obvious. Uh, you came into the world with nothing and you will leave with nothing. Everything that you make in your whole life, I don't care if it's millions or thousands, it's not going to go with you. It will stay here. It is temporary. And sometimes we'll set our sights on something that is so temporary as this life. And what we're doing is we're trading Sometimes we trade just moments, but sometimes we trade a lifetime focusing on things that are not even close to as valuable as the most important thing. Sometimes we focus on pleasure or leisure or recreation, the things that we enjoy doing. And many times those things take the place of our relationship with God or something that could be much more important. I I wouldn't wouldn't dare to say if you're involved in sports that you should stop being involved in sports, but I would like you to question your priorities, whether that's being a fan of a sport, participating in a sport, having your kids in sports, or whatever leisure hobby you want to do, whether you're a manly man that likes to go hunting, or you're somebody that likes to stay in and cook. Uh, It doesn't really make a difference, sometimes we're so short-sighted that our leisurely hobbies, they they take priority over things that God has as a priority. Does that make sense? This is how we are like Esau, where we take something very valuable, like the mission of God. We do it in our finances, where we know that God's number one heartbeat is to reach people, yet we never give, but we can go to McDonald's or we can get Starbucks and that's how, we, that's how we do it. It starts with small things, and it always gets bigger. But we have to check our priorities. We have to check our short-sightedness. We're most like Esau when we allow our appetites to rule us. Number two, we'll only look at the short term. See, we shouldn't be asking how this will affect us now. We should always look down the road. Um, there are the... Uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Is that what the book's called? Anyone know that book? Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I know one is begin with the end in mind. And every one of us can look to the end. And I just taught about this in Emerge. Uh, Psalm 1 talks about that at the end, that the sinners will not stand in the judgment. Uh, They won't be part of the congregation of the righteous. We can look at the end and every single person as one of two destinations. It's either heaven or it's hell. And at the end, it's not gonna matter what kind of car you drove, how much money you made, if you were popular or not, if you wore fancy clothes or not. It's really only gonna matter who made it to heaven and who didn't. There's a lot of stuff in between there that matters as well. You do leave a legacy here, you do leave things for your children, your children's children. But we have to begin with the end in mind. You can look down, and sometimes if you just filter things, if does this really matter? When I get to the end of my life and I'm looking back, is this really going to make a difference? We need to avoid looking only at the short term, or else we make trades like Esau did. The third thing we do to be like Esau is we, is, uh, is we misplace our love. We misplace our love. I want you to look in, uh, we'll start in verse 32. And Esau said, behold, I am at the point to die. What profit shall this birthright do to me? Very short-sighted. And Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he swore unto him. And he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way thus esau despised his birthright the word despise gives a kind of an inside scoop of where his heart was at for this guy to take something so valuable like his birthright all these blessings everything that was spiritually valuable and he was going to take all of these things and he sold them for a bowl of soup and then he ate his soup and the bible says look at what he did he ate it And he drank, and he rose up, and he went his way, like nothing happened. His heart was so misplaced on the wrong things that what God cared about didn't even matter, didn't even blink, didn't even concern him. I'm curious, and I hope that we check our hearts, because sometimes we care so much about stuff that God doesn't even think about. He doesn't care about it's worthless it's like this bowl of soup it's a bowl of soup it's not important in the sermon of the mount jesus discusses this person who spends his life paying attention to the temporary stuff of the world and i've read the verse but it's in matthew 6 33. i just want to remind you as we close but seek ye first the kingdom of god first is a word indicating priority Indicating value. In your mind, first, that's, that's one and only. There's only one thing he says to seek. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. First, there's, you worry about God first. And then all these things will be added unto you. We need to check if we're just all worried about the things. If you all day long think about the things, you think about the things. When it comes point for you to make this a trade or make a decision in your life, should you do this or not, Your heart's already set on these things, and all the things that are important to God, your relationship with Christ, all those spiritual blessings, you will probably throw them aside for a bowl of soup. If you don't check where your love is placed, Matthew 22, 37, it's a verse that summarizes our mission as a church, our our statement. It's posted everywhere around this place. Jesus said unto him, this is answering what is the greatest commandment, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. It is just weird to me. That Esau could be part of this spiritual family. He could have this great history. He could have all this blessing. And he could trade it for a bowl of soup, eat the soup, and just get up and walk away like nothing happened. He didn't care about it one bit. Listen, we have got to pay attention to what we care about. It's not going to come naturally. The Bible says we're supposed to set our affection on things above. It's like setting the thermostat. You choose the temperature. You choose where you're set. You can set it on your job. You can set it on anything else. Your recreational sport, you can set it on anything you want to set it on. But there's one thing that's most important, that you love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. All. It's all-encompassing. There's nothing else that gets to compete with that. See, getting to the point of where Esau was at, where he just didn't care, he could get up and leave like nothing happened, probably started really small, where in a small decision, you devalue all these blessings of God. And I just encourage you tonight, do not be like Esau. Listen, you have, your relationship with God is so important. It's it's everything. It, it, It affects every part of your life is the most important before your spouse, before your kids, before your job. Christ is most important. Don't sell out. Don't give up this great blessing for something temporary, for something immediate, for some desire. Set your heart. Set your heart. I, I just hope that, um, I hope you think about this. You have the prime opportunity And you have this great ability to make decision. You get to choose. You can leave here, and you can go and be the same as you've always been. And I I tell you, some of you are like, this is a Sunday night lesson. This is like, he's expecting this to change my life. Listen, I expect Christ to change your life. And listen, he doesn't give you an option to say, you know what? Go ahead and live for all these things and keep me over here on the side. He doesn't want to be your side hustle. He doesn't want to be your side job. He wants to be the main focus of your life. And sometimes we sell out. Jesus said no man can serve two masters. So I hope that through this, we see Esau, and his name is not recorded when we read the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's, it's, Esau's not there. Jacob gets this birthright. This great, huge blessing was given up for a simple bowl of soup, and I hope we don't do the same.